Welcome to the Acres of Diamonds podcast with Bob Larson, a nationally recognized expert in the analysis of complex life insurance structures. In the Acres of Diamonds podcast, Bob talks about the flip side of owning a life insurance policy that your client has outgrown or that has underperformed. We share insight and strategies to help advisors maximize the effectiveness and value of their clients' life insurance policies. Hello and welcome to Acres of Diamonds with Bob Larson from the Settlement Masters. Today we're going to be talking about a minefield in the settlement industry. So, Bob, how are you today? I'm a better than I was yesterday. Everything is great. Thank you. Fantastic. All right. I know that we're into 2019, well into 2019 at this point, and we've got a lot of good information that came from last year's podcast, and we've got new information for this year's podcast. So tell me a little bit about this minefield. We're, we're, we're talking about the minefield. What does that look like? Well, a minefield is made up of a lot of different components. When I talk about a minefield, there was minefields years ago and anything that was new. Mm-hmm. Uh, although settlements are not new, the perception of what a settlement is is considered to be, in my opinion, a minefield. It's something that has to be eradicated and educated yeah. so that people can look at it and shift their perception from it being a dark area of the financial world to that of a prominent area that has recently, in the last two years, become regulated by states, has become something of interest uh, relative to the fiduciary laws. So the perception of what one thinks about when they think of the word life settlements, many people don't even know that it exists. Mm -hmm. Those that do know, about half of them have a a significant misperception in that we're talking about uh, stranger-owned life insurance, which was an era of 2008, 2009, when banks came in and, and were doing financing on life settlements. And it was not a good thing for the insurance industry, and it has pretty much stopped. But the perception of a life settlement is a tool that the regulators believe and the federal government believes is a absolute option for seniors relative to their decision uh, on whether or not they keep their life insurance asset and or they sell their life insurance asset. So it is an option that one should have available to them through their advisor for those reasons. So the perception shift is that it is a true, uh, real, authorized option that has been recognized by regulators, the federal government, and is uh, highly regulated today, as is a real estate transaction. So Mm -hmm. uh, it is something that people need to know about. What are some other (laughs) obstacles that will stop a client or an advisor from engaging Well, that's a good question because oftentimes that happens. One is perception. One is being able to Mm -hmm. understand it without uh, the cloud of of some misguided information that they heard about. Uh, So we're we're really good at helping people see the opportunity if properly monitored. The next thing really is knowledge of the settlement process for the client, understanding all the components of what a settlement is, what it does, uh, and who buys it, Mm -hmm. and uh, all the things they have to go through. It's just knowledge. And we spend a lot of time educating uh, advisors and clients through live webcasts that anybody can tap into that will help them, whether they do business with us or not, 
help them get up to speed on the value, if there is a value for them, up to speed on what it does and how it might apply to a damaged life insurance asset. And when I say damaged, I'm talking about what's happened recently in the increasing internal cost of a, a product that was issued between 1995 and 2008. Mm-hmm. Those contracts, Eric, have been, I call damaged because the cost the, to the client has escalated sometimes three to 10 times what they've been used to paying just to keep the life insurance in force. And it's unconscionable that they've done that. And there's been many lawsuits against the insurance companies and some have settled. And I can tell you more about that later. For the advisor, an obstacle would be his attempt score. And what I mean by an attempt score is many advisors, in fact, most of the advisors that we talk to throughout the nation uh, have had an experience by submitting a life insurance uh, contract to uh, a broker and to to attempt to get the contract uh, approved and the settlement created. And what they've found is their decline score, the decline number of those that they have sent forward into the brokerage community has been horrible. Mm. And so they, they look at it as, you know, the attempt score, it's like a batting average. And if it's so bad, you just don't do it. I mean, it just doesn't give you any gratification. There's no, there's no win. You don't feel good about what you told the client and what actually happened. So the attempt score has to be understood so that, that a client, that an, an advisor understands how to qualify. And I'll talk about that a little later. But how to qualify, just like he does with all the things that they do in the investment community to get comparability, to create all kinds of qualification to determine where this client, if any of the places, where he fits or she fits. Because if they don't fit, you know, don't bubble their, burst their bubble by telling them that they may qualify. We do a lot of work in preparing an advisor to understand how to qualify so that they don't have a low attempt score, we call it. Mm-hmm. And the attempt score, then their batting average goes up to three, four, five hundred. And that's when all of a sudden the pros that do this as a regular part of their policy reviews, the, their attempt score goes up. They create incredible income consistently and they move their market up into the higher senior wealth area. The last thing is just the general thing that stops all of us in terms of our not understanding something. It's the fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of litigation that's gone on because of the fear, because the people have done things improperly in the settlement world. Of course, we protect our advisors by giving them E&O and by making sure that they have compliance checks all the way through. Uh, it's been tested by a, a lawsuit that occurred by a major trust company that was dropped in its entirety because of our compliance report given to the law firms. I mean, that was an amazing thing. Lloyd's of London has selected us as the only company so far that they would insure for errors and emissions Mm. as a result of our compliance report. So we tried to dismiss the fear of unknown by educating our advisors and our clients. This is truly a mathematical decision. This is not a, a sale as one would generally look at uh, product sale. This is a mathematical decision, and it's it's really it really uh, 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 we want to empower the advisors to do this. It's their fiduciary responsibility to do an evaluation on policies, certainly in the senior class, because of this problem. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's very simple. You and I have spoken quite a bit. Either it's good for the client, and you do it, 
or it's not good for the client, and you don't do it. That's right. <laughs> it's really simple. You spoke a lot about what you're doing with the advisors or for the advisors. What are some of the things a client can do to understand life settlements? First of all, we do a lot of work in trying to educate the answer to this question. We work real hard at letting a client know that if the policy's in trouble, meaning that if you're in the 80s and you find that all of a sudden you received a premium that is multiples of what you've been paying, and, it, and it's because of a reason, and of course the client doesn't understand the reason, they just understand the cost has gone up and much more than they expected. So we want them to know that there are options that they have available to them. And we so we educate them on the options. And the options that they have are very clearly mathematical. You know, the investment in a life insurance asset versus what the capital markets and the institutional funds, what will they pay for that contract? It's a mathematical decision. Mm -hmm. It is not an emotional decision. It's not a multiple closed decision. It is the easiest kind of uh, process that I've ever been involved in in my 50 years in the life insurance industry. One, it's very important that advisors that are pros take on this specialty and partner with a firm like ours so that they can have this kind of detail given to a client. But the options, what, a, what can a client do to keep their policy and the mathematics of that and the mathematics of what is the institutional third-party pricing of a policy that would enable their family to have more? And it's just that. It's not any more than that. It, again, I'm repeating myself, but it's not a pushy sale. It is not a salesy process at all. It's understanding how to make things happen. It's just like a neurosurgeon. When he's hired to do his job, he's not trying to do neurosurgery uh, because he makes money. He's doing it because he sees a problem. He's identified the problem. He knows how to mitigate the problem. And he tells the family that the options are doing nothing versus doing something. And that's what we do. And the options for doing nothing are real in, in a troubled contract. Mm -hmm. They are real because the, the price of that policy has escalated to a point where many times they can't afford it. They have to drop it or cash it in. $134, billion, the number I can't give you correct, but uh, Lisa talks about how many people every year for the next 11 years are going to cash in or, or lapse their policy that's in the senior class of 75 to 90. Uh, you'd be surprised at how many people we talk to that are still viable but have medical conditions that are 75, 80, 85, 90, that no longer can't afford the life insurance that they wanted to keep. And sometimes we're able to help them keep some. Mm -hmm. But knowing what their options are to resolve this negative problem, this tumor, <laughs> if I relate to the yeah. neurosurgeon, this tumor that exists in their life insurance asset. We identify it. We show them how to mitigate it with alternate medicine. Then we show them what has to happen if they want to do surgery. Nobody wants to do surgery. But if the end result is better for them and they like it, then we do surgery. Absolutely. Bob, you and I have been working together for quite a while, and, and I've gotten to know you. And I can tell everybody, hey, Bob is a fantastic guy. He has a fantastic team. Settlement Masters is above board. They are great, but really, let's be honest, I'm just a voice on a podcast. Uh, you know, it's, They don't have to take my word for it. They, they can't take my word for it uh, just because I said it. Uh, I would advise you not to just take my word for it. So my question is, if a client doesn't know Settlement Masters, how do they vet them? 
Good question. About 98% of the settlement brokerage industry are made up of opportunists that started in the life insurance mm -hmm. settlement business and really have never been in the life insurance business. Uh, I founded this company in 2008 because I saw clients being hurt. And we've solved a lot of problems since then. We've, mm. we've kept the company out of bankruptcy. We've set a son up uh, that the mother gave him the settlement funds. And he built a massive real estate portfolio that succeeded the death benefit. How you vet them is really being able to talk to third parties and uh, or, or talking to the companies and find out how experienced they are in the life insurance business. If they don't have any experience in selling and managing large portfolios of life insurance, they really don't understand the, the asset value of life insurance. They talk the talk, but it's like, and I hate to use this term, but it's like a, a senator in, in politics that has never had experience in the private sector. They only have an academic, a fine academic resume, but they have never run a business. They've never worked outside the public sector. So, you know, that's okay sometimes, but it's surface old. They don't really understand what it's like. We do. I've been 50 years in the life insurance business at a top tier level, and I built massive companies. I, I understand the life insurance industry, but what can you do? That's my words. You can talk to the attorneys and accountants in your area about uh, what, what uh, a, a recommendation to a settlement company. Many of them will have known settlement masters. We're a member of the Trust and Estate Planning Organization Council out of London. It's a very elite group of attorneys that specialize in estate planning. You don't get in there unless you have a massive reputation mm -hmm. and a massive number of referrals from the legal community. We are one of very, very, very few that have been admitted with our background. And we have been because of our significant experience in solution, problem solutions, and so on. So you ask attorneys and accountants. That's a good start. When you, you want to deal with a company that's been around a long time. Now, my, my primary organization has been around since 1981. I started a separate company in, in 2008 when I saw the massive opportunity to solve problems in a very professional way. Uh, I started, settle, I formed Settlement Masters to help clients in the estate planning world and attorneys that had clients that were really lost. I mean, the promises that the agent made long before uh, have been destroyed by the carrier's mm -hmm. position on changing the cost uh, structure within the policies. And all of a sudden, they don't have faith and confidence in their advisor. Oftentimes, they don't have faith and confidence in the insurance industry. They don't know where to turn. So advisors... Uh, accountants, attorneys, call us and we will give you a lot of direction. We'll give you accountants and attorneys' names to check in with. So that's the best way, just like you do on any other thing. Uh, it doesn't take a lot of time. We can help and shortcut it for you because we give you third-party people, large institutions, uh, small regional uh, law firms and accountants that have worked through us and use us to do the meticulous mathematical comparison between keeping a contract all the things you could do to keep it and the present value of the money you could potentially get out of the institutional market. That's how you do it. People search on the internet. Uh, we may not come up. We may come up sometimes. TheSettlementMasters.com is our, is our uh, website. And I would highly suggest that you look us up if you can't find us. Uh, sometimes we're on the top. Sometimes we're in the middle. But if you can't, give us a call. 
and we will be able to uh, help you in the process by finding the kind of uh, people that will give you that information. I think if you talk to us and give us and give us the time to put you through one of the educational webcasts, typically they're 15 to 30 minutes. They're filled with packed, basic, fundamental, objective information, not salesy. It's a mathematical decision and you need a firm that can give you those numbers and give them without prejudice, uh, without any agenda, that's the kind of firm that you need. And that's the kind of firm that we are and the trust companies, the lawyers, the accountants say so. So that's why they feel comfortable in using us. Bob, we've all heard the expression once bitten, twice shy. And earlier you spoke about early on in the industry, the companies, there were some companies that were maybe a little bit predatory. They were in it for the wrong reasons. For advisors that have had a bad experience in the settlement business, what can they do to find out more information? Well, it, it, this reflects back on a previous question because when a when an advisor gets stuck because his batting ratio, his success uh, score, his attempt score is bad, he's going to typically shy away from this. And, and that's really the key. So understanding the process and understanding the objectivity of a professional approach to life settlements uh, is what he needs or she needs to be able to be uh, introduced to. And once they go through our process, they will they will begin to strip away that that prejudice or that feeling that uh, the industry is filled with people that have a prearranged agenda. Most of them are just pushing the settlement. Mm-hmm. They don't care anything about the client. They only care about what they can make by making the transaction. We're just the opposite. We don't we don't even determine what the cost and the objective potential profits are until we've gotten the client to a big win, and then we are very transparent on every dollar that comes in, every bid that comes in. And so that's how we do it. Got it. Bob, we're talking about a minefield and what a client should look out for. What are the basic questions a client should ask when considering selling a policy? Good question. Uh, Here are some of the questions I'd ask. Who's buying my policy? Mm. And what can I do to be sure that uh, I want to sell it? Is it the right thing for me? How much do I have to pay someone to sell my policy? How do I know the people I'm dealing with are honest? How do I know I'm being given the best price? How can I be certain that I'm not being overcharged for the transaction? You know, these are questions that are at the core, the basic uh, kind of things that I would want to know if I were trying to discover, is this an option for me? Bob, what are some of the terms that a client needs to understand? Well, that's another good question. When, when a client enters into a educational process, they need to understand some of the, the language that's used in the industry, like what is an institutional investor? You know, what is that? Uh, and, and just as a bystander, the institutional funds that we deal with are all big funds that are dedicated to buying policies of the underlying investment, like uh, an Apollo or a uh, uh, Brookshire or any one of the major pension funds that see life insurance as a great underlying asset to accomplish their investing objectives. What is a provider? A provider is necessary because it's something that all the brokers work with that represent multiple funds that are licensed in a state and they're regulated heavily by states so that you know that they're not doing anything that's not kosher. Everything mm-hmm. is transparent. Uh, supposedly the broker is in charge of that, but everything is transparent to the broker. What is a licensed broker? It's imperative that the license is held by the 
by the broker and also an agent license for the advisor. But a licensed broker is the one that deals with the client, helps them quantify the value, the pricing, uh, gives them hopefully transparency, hopefully does the mathematical comparison in terms of what they could do to keep it, hopefully gets everybody to sign off on all those options if they want to move ahead, mm -hmm. that they want that the economics of selling a policy might be more, more attractive to them. What is life expectancy? They hear about life expectancy. It's an actuarial decision by actuarial companies that must be done in order to provide a formal offer. And it is a, it is a just like a life insurance company uses, it's an estimation of the life of the individual based on a pool number uh, that they can buy and, and, and know that that number represents 50% of the people will have passed by the number of years at the end of the number of years that they predict the life expectancy to be and 50% will still be alive. Mm -hmm. that, that model helps them make a decision on how much they can invest in that policy to drive the kind of return that the fund needs. What determines if it's uh, policy is saleable is a question more than a term, but it, it's, it's the policy, uh, the policy itself. It's like a bond. It's the rating, uh, the, the independent S&P and Moody's ratings of the insurance company. It's the premium to death benefit annual ratio. Uh, they want it under 5%. It's the health history of the client. Those are the three main drivers of the uh, pricing structure. And we do all of that helping the client. We report weekly to the client and to the advisor exactly where we are in the timeline that we set up at the beginning to complete the process. So that's really an overview that's a very brief, but it's what we do in our educational process to help the client and the advisor. That's fantastic. Bob, you said something earlier that I really want to go back to just for a moment. You said it's a mathematical decision. It's not an emotional decision. And I, I kind of chuckled to myself because I, I was thinking these are life insurance policies. Nobody cuddles with a life insurance policy. This isn't a teddy bear that you got when you were three. Nobody you know, has a life insurance policy that was passed down from their great, great, great grandfather. And it's a family heirloom. These are life insurance policies. This is the tool. This is a, a, well, I think you put it best. I think it's a property, if I'm not mistaken. There is no emotion tied to it. It truly is just mathematical. How do you help somebody really see that? Well, you know, they bought it for different reasons. Most people, most people think of a life insurance policy as like a car insurance policy, and mm -hmm. it's really very, very different. Uh, you, you know, you can change in, in like car insurance companies a dozen times, and it has nothing to do with your age, other than when you become incompetently capable of driving an automobile. But mo mostly it has nothing to do with the things that has to do with uh, issuing a life insurance contract. People have to be in reasonably good health when, they, mm -hmm. uh, when a carrier will invest by issuing a life insurance policy. And it becomes an, a real asset. And it's more, but people don't look at it that way. It's an asset. When you die, what you have left over is what the heirs receive. And it, it, it could be buildings, it could be stocks and bonds, it could be uh, homes, it could be all kinds of investments, including. A, an asset called life insurance. Mm -hmm. And so it's truly an asset. The real value of that asset is determined by what you put in and what you get back. And we do that as part of our uh, keeping analysis. And that is what is the internal rate of return on your investment uh, of your life insurance contract? If the premium has gone way up, we calculate, recalculate what the investment return is as a comparison to 
what might be available in the institutional market for that policy. So if you can get a million dollars now instead of waiting to get $2 million when the client dies, sometimes at a reasonable growth rate, that million dollars will be worth more than the two million. Mm -hmm. Sometimes. Uh, Sometimes they need the cash for long-term care, retirement. You know, sometimes it's different uh, what they need money for. So all this is is a way to mathematically compare uh, what the settlement market could give them in excess of the cash surrender value compared to the pricing of the policy to keep it. So they can look at that and make a family decision. And we ask everybody to sign off on that they've been fully informed. And then going forward, everything is transparent relative to the process. That's great. Hey, thank you so much for your time today, Bob. Do you have any other closing thoughts today? Well, you know what? I understand the psychology of all of us. And that is it's easier to put off things that aren't pressing or don't give us immediate gratification. This is not this is a character decision. It's a little different than most because you can turn something that isn't money for today into money for today. Mm-hmm. And if that's a if that makes mathematical sense, then it's something that gives you current sense of satisfaction now. Uh, so I would I would say take action on this. Get involved in it. If you have a life insurance contract, especially if you're in the 80 to 90 category or 75 with some medical history, get involved now. Call us and let us help you. Our number is 877-927-7243. Ask for Diana Kyle or Daryl Habel. Daryl's our director of operations. Diana's in charge of our client relations. And they'll give you proper guidance in terms of our educational process. So that's what you can do. I long time ago, I learned something to help me make decisions. And that is a poem. So bear with me. It takes two seconds on the plains of hesitation, bleak the bones of countless millions that on the dawn of victory, they sat there, did nothing until they died. So don't sit until the policy explodes because you can't fix Mm -hmm. it at that point. Don't keep a term policy beyond its conversion period and, and wait to think about it because it will be worthless. Make a decision to call us, 877-927-7243. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Bob. And thank you all for listening to the Acres of Diamonds podcast with Bob Larson. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Bob comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friend, family, and coworkers. Thanks again for listening today. For everyone at the Settlement Masters, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Acres of Diamonds podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Thank you.